that's just something that was on my heart. Acts chapter 3, starting at verse 1. And in case you're worried, there aren't many days I don't pray. Don't call a business meeting and look to sack me if you don't mind. Acts chapter 3 and verse 1 says, Now Peter and John went up together into the temple at the hour of prayer, being the ninth hour. And a certain man lame from his mother's womb was carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple, which is called Beautiful, to ask alms of them that entered into the temple. Who, seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, asked an alms, or asked for money. And Peter, fastening his eyes upon him with John, said, Look on us. And he gave heed unto them, expecting to receive something of them. And then Peter said, Silver and gold have I none, but such as I have give I thee. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and lifted him up, and immediately his feet and ankle bones received strength. And he, leaping up, stood and walked and entered into the temple, walking and leaping and praising God. And they knew that it was he which sat for arms at the beautiful gate of the temple, and they were filled with wonder and amazement at that which had happened unto him. Amen. Do not wish to be politically incorrect this morning, not that politically political correction concerns me all that much, but I do not wish to be politically incorrect nor to be insensitive, but I want to preach this morning about cripples in the king's house. Cripples in the king's house. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your goodness. We thank you, Lord, for your presence and your word and your anointing. And we ask you, Lord, that in this next little while that we are gathered together, this time that is ordained of you, Lord, that you would minister to us, that your will would be done. Lord, that we would be wise enough to allow your will to be done, Lord, I pray. That your word would do what it can only do, Lord, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. We do not know exactly how long after the day of Pentecost that this account took place. We know there's a chapter break, but that doesn't really tell us a lot about time. But it would seem, just from context, that it is a part of the same time period. Because chapter 2 ends with statements of how the disciples and the new believers who were freshly filled with the Spirit of God, were daily in the temple and breaking bread from house to house and that the Lord was adding to the church daily. And so this account at the beginning of chapter 3 of the book of Acts seems to sort of flow from that. And so if it's not, I don't think it's a long way after what took place in the book of Acts. You may have some insight into that that is different. But I imagine this morning that it would be fascinating to have been able to listen in to the conversation that Peter and John had walking to the temple at the hour of prayer. The wonder of how it felt for them to have recently received the Holy Ghost, of having been a part of that first prayer meeting when the Spirit fell in the upper room in Acts chapter 2 and how things that Jesus had said when he was with them were starting to come back to them one chunk at a time and starting to make sense. Things that when he spoke them, that at the moment they didn't really get it, but after they'd been filled with the Spirit, 
they remembered some of the things that he said and it was starting to, to come together in their minds. After all, it would be John who was there on this day that would record in his gospel that Jesus said that the spirit of truth would come who the world cannot receive because it seeth him not, neither knoweth him, but you know him for he dwelleth with you and shall be in you. And then Jesus said, I will not leave you comfortless. I will come to you. Now, at the time when those words were spoken, that was probably a riddle. So there's this spirit that isn't here yet, but we're going to know it. It's with us. It's coming. It's going to be in us. And then he's coming. How do you work all that out? But when they were filled with the Holy Ghost, and they, they began to speak with other tongues, and they knew what it was to have God's Spirit in them, some of those things, light bulbs begin to come on in some of those conversations that they remembered what he said. That's, I guess that's one of the good things about the Gospels being written after the fact. They weren't reporting live from the scene, but they were written afterwards, and they had some understanding to go with the things that were written. I'd go as far as to suggest that for them, being filled with the Spirit probably felt somewhat similar to what being with Jesus felt like, but at a whole new level, at a whole new level. They, they'd been in His presence. They'd sat with him and listened to him and when he'd spoken and done the miraculous and there was something about being with Jesus, but when they were filled with the Holy Ghost, it was, it was like that feeling was taken and transplanted within them as his spirit moved in and took up residence inside of their souls and hearts. Amen. And maybe as they were walking to the temple, they spoke of the people just that week that had been born again of water and spirit. Maybe they had family members friends, religious leaders. The Bible says that the Lord was adding to the church daily such as should be saved. And they were involved in that. They were baptizing. They were praying with people when they got the Holy Ghost. They were witnessing and preaching and sharing the gospel and seeing all of that happen. And in the midst of that buzz, if you like, that new excitement that the people were no doubt talking about, absolutely nothing had changed for this desperate and hopeless man that sat on the side of the road on the way into the temple and the others that sat there with him. He heard the conversations. He saw the crowds coming and going and the people talking about this new phenomenon. But for him, nothing had changed. Nothing had changed. Amen. Amen. All manner of people who could not provide for themselves lined the entrances to the temple, hoping that people's minds, as they were turned towards the worship of God, that they might also remember his instruction to care for the poor along the way, that in their godliness they might remember those that sat on the side of the road. You see, people talking in strange languages that they'd never learned or being immersed in water as somebody declared the name of Jesus didn't do a whole lot for a man that had never stood by himself. He'd never ran. He'd never played. He'd never done the other things that other boys did when he was growing up. Every day of his life, when his father had left the home to go to work, whether it was to work in the field with the crops or caring for flocks of sheep or some other trade, the young man could never go. He could never go to work with his dad. And other boys worked with their fathers from the time that they were very young learning the trades and the skills that they would need to carry on when their fathers got old, but not this man. He was lame from the time that he was born. 
And so perhaps, I'm speculating, but perhaps he had other brothers that every morning went out with dad to go and work the fields, to look after the sheep, whatever it was that his dad did. But he could not participate. Amen. So he was aware of the new excitement in town because the temple was fairly central to what was going on. But he remained in his condition. He was lame. He was crippled. He'd been there since he was born. But on this day, on this day in Acts chapter 3, as Peter and John walked past this man, that it would seem they had done so many times before. It's not a stretch to suggest that Jesus walked past this man. And he'd seen them come and he'd seen them go. But this day was different. Because this new experience that Peter and John had, this spirit that they now had within them as they were walking along and all the beggars were arms, arms, compassion, arms, arms, sir, give me a few coins, arms, arms. As they passed this man for some reason that only God knows, that spirit that was freshly in them did a little flip and Peter turned to that one man. He wasn't the only beggar on the road that day, but he was there and Peter turned and he said, look on us. The man looked on them expecting to to receive some coins. But then Peter said those words that we know now that some of us have sung since we were children. Silver and gold have I none. But such as I have give I thee in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And that man stood up and we know that he was made whole. And later on in the same chapter, Peter explained that it was his name through faith in his name that made that man whole. And you've got to step back and consider this miracle. He had never walked in his life. And yet there's no rehabilitation. There's no training. There's no, no walking sticks. There's no somebody helping him to get his balance or putting one foot in front of the other. He'd never stood on his own two feet. And yet all of a sudden he's walking. He's leaping. He's praising God. Amen. Amen. And everybody around him is walking into the temple in a calm and reverent fashion. After all, they're going to church. They're going to the house of God and they're going along very calmly. But not this guy. Not this guy. All these pious religious Israelites are walking into the temple and this guy's having a seizure. He's trying out these new legs. He's walking up. He's like, I can go this way. I can go that way. And then maybe I can jump and he takes a little one. And then he takes a big one. I'm not going to take a really big one because I'll hurt myself. But he's trying out these new limbs. And all these other people are calm. But this guy is freaking out because he was lame from his mother's womb. But now he can walk. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. You see, what we may fail to recognize in this story is that his spot on the side of the road by the temple gate was as close as he ever got to going into the temple. That was as close as he ever got to going into the temple. Day in and day out, he watched people enter a place that he knew was special, that he knew was a part of their nation's worship, was a part of their nation's identity, but he could never go in. He could never go in. And if we could understand this morning what we have, When we come into the house of God, we might start walking and leaping and praising God as well. Amen. You see, because from way back in the book of Exodus, from the tabernacle in the wilderness and Solomon's temple, 
What happened inside those structures was very strictly controlled. It wasn't happy-go-lucky, do whatever you like, do whatever you feel like on the day, but it was very strictly controlled. God is holy, and they were to never compromise on that. They were never to treat it lightly. They were never to corrupt it, and so things had to be just so. They had to bring the best sacrifice. They had to offer it the right way. The priests had to wash properly. The garments had to be the right garments. They had to have that special anointing oil, special furniture. Nothing flawed or compromised could come into the house of God. It even came down to the people. Many of you know this, but if you read Leviticus chapter 21, you'll see that the Levites, whose job it was to take care of the business of the church, there was a whole list of stuff that if, any of the, if they had any of these traits or problems, they were disqualified from being involved in worship. In the te- It's a long list. You can read it. You weren't allowed to shave your head. You weren't allowed to have any marks on your body. Your wife had to come from a good family. She couldn't be, you know, questionable. You couldn't go near a dead body. You couldn't have any blemishes. You couldn't be blind. You couldn't be lame. You couldn't even have a flat nose. That's what it says. You couldn't have any unusual growths. The King James uses the word superfluous, extra stuff. So if you just happen to be born with six fingers, sorry, not allowed to come to church. You got something that's weird. It's not natural. You're out of here. They were the rules. You couldn't have a broken hand or a broken foot. You couldn't have a crooked back. You couldn't have a problem with your eyes. You couldn't have any scabby skin conditions. You couldn't be a eunuch. That's why in Acts chapter 8, when the Ethiopian eunuch traveled so far from Africa to come to worship, he couldn't go any further than the lame man. He came all that way to try to worship God, and that was as close as he could get because he was disqualified. But yet when he returned, we know that Jesus made sure that the preacher met him in the desert and that he got to experience the goodness of God. Amen. So we have to understand this morning what it meant for this man to walk into church with Peter and John. He'd sat there his entire life watching people walk through. And they're up and down. And, you know, look, they were human just like you and I. They, they got religious. It became a habit. They walked into church. Now, I watch people walk through that door. I'm not going to do any imitations, trust me. But we just we're coming to church. Peter and John, they're a little bit more excited. They got the Holy Ghost. But this guy, there's this, this door, this gate, this entry. For him, it might as well have been Mount Everest because he was not allowed. But all of a sudden, in a moment, everything changes. And he's walking and he's jumping and he can't wait to get into church. He was there before they opened the door. Because for the first time, a crippled man who was banned from the temple was able to go in complete and whole just like everybody else. You see, in their society, anybody who was blemished, Anybody who suffered from some kind of incurable ailment was rejected and had to live a second or third-rate life not knowing the privileges that others took for normal. Those people that went to church all the time didn't think twice about it. That poor man sat in the side of the road wondering what the inside looked like. The blind and the lame were reduced to being beggars depending on the kindness of others to survive. The lepers were cast out 
living separately from society and communities or colonies. And if a leper happened to be coming along the road and other people were coming the other way, the law said the leper had to put their hand up over their mouth and cry out, unclean, unclean, to warn the people that were coming that they were leprous. What's that? They talk a lot about self-esteem nowadays. How would that be for your self-esteem? Every time you pass somebody going down the road, I'm unclean. Don't come near me. I'm filthy. I'll contaminate you. That was the lifestyle that they were condemned to. Amen. And the temple, the temple was so far from reality for those people. The blind, the lame, the leper, they could not go up to the house of God together. They they knew that in the book of Psalms that David had said, I was glad when they said unto me, let us go to the house of the Lord. But they could not share his joy because they were prohibited from coming in. Amen. But then things changed again, and Jesus came along. Matthew chapter 24, in the first two verses, if you're a note taker, the Bible says that Jesus went out, departed from the temple, and his disciples came to show him the buildings of the temple. You read the account in Mark's gospel, they, they talk about the stones. Look at these stones, these magnificent stones, Lord. Aren't they incredible? And Jesus said unto them, See ye not all these things? I say unto you, there shall not be left here one stone upon another that shall not be thrown down. Jesus was prophesying, foretelling that the temple would be destroyed. And we knew that happened in about 70 AD when Titus and his armies came through, if I haven't got my facts right. It didn't seem, you know, but it didn't seem to bother Jesus too much that the temple was going to be destroyed because he was already transitioning into a different temple. Because in John chapter 2, it says, Jesus answered and said to them, if you destroy this temple, in three days I will raise it up. And the Jews whose mind was stuck in the Old Testament, had stuck in the temple that they could see, said, it took 46 years to build this thing. And you're going to rebuild it in three days? Who are you? How is that even possible? But then verse 21 says, But he spake of the temple of his body. And when therefore he was risen from the dead, his disciples remembered that he had said this unto them. And they believed the scripture and the word which Jesus had said. You see, in the Old Testament, the presence of God was in the temple. If you look at the tabernacle, you know if you've read it or studied it or been taught it, that above that, that holy place, By day there was a pillar of cloud, and by night there was a pillar of fire. And it was holy. It represented God's anointing and His blessing. His presence was in that place. And when Solomon dedicated his temple, the temple that he built, the Lord said that he would put his name there. The presence and the name of God were in the temple in the Old Testament. But in Jesus Christ, in God manifest in the flesh, the Scripture says, to wit or to know that God was in Christ. The presence and the Spirit of God was in him, and he is the revelation of the name of God. And so he wasn't so worried about this temple that had been rebuilt a couple of times because he came as God manifests in the flesh, and he came as the temple himself. But then it goes a step further because Paul tells us in Corinthians that when we receive the Holy Ghost, we become the temples of God. Amen. And we also get his name applied to us when we're born again. Amen. So you could say, if you want to try to put that together and be clever, which I'm not, you could say that Jesus came, he brought his temple to the temple 
on the way to making us his temples. That's the purpose, that's the reason that he came. But there's a big difference, and this is where I want to get to this morning. There's a big difference in the rules for that temple and his temple. All of those rules that excluded all of those people, he changed them all in a moment of time. Hallelujah. Let me give you some examples. In Matthew 15, great multitudes came unto him, having with them those that were lame, those that were blind, those that were dumb, those that were maimed, and many others, and cast them down at Jesus' feet, and he healed them. Hallelujah. John chapter 9 tells us that when a blind man came to him, he spat on the ground, he made a couple little mud balls, he pushed them in the blind man's eyes, and he said, go and wash in the pool of Siloam. And the blind man, you know, sometimes when we preach, we imitate the blind man staggering around with mud in his eyes. He staggered around before he had the mud in his eyes. He was blind. But he knew how to make his way around. He got to the pool, and as he managed to wash the mud out of his eyes, light got through for the first time. He began to experience the sensation of light passing through his iris and his lens and end of his retina in the back, and he saw images and trees and clouds and people and the pool and his own reflection. The old temple cast him out. The new temple touched him and healed his disease. Luke chapter 13, the old temple, you, you, were, you had a crooked back, you're out of here. Luke chapter 13 says there was a woman who had a spirit of infirmity for 18 years. She was bowed over so far, all she could see was the ground. She couldn't make herself straight in any way, that's what the Bible says. But when Jesus saw her, he called her to him. He didn't say, you're unclean, you can't come to temple. The Bible says that he called her to him and said, woman, you are loosed from your infirmity. And he laid his hand on her, and immediately she was made straight and glorified God. All of these people, all of these people would have been instantly disqualified under the law and never been able to come into the house of God. But he went one step further in Luke 17. The Bible says he entered into a certain village, and there met him ten men that were lepers which stood afar off. It says that for a reason, because when they saw him coming, if they were obedient to the law, they had to put their hand over the top lip and say, unclean, unclean, and let this man coming know that they not come near us. We're diseased. We're corrupted. We're contagious. But it says they lifted up their voices. Maybe they said unclean first. I don't know. They lifted up their voices as in Jesus Master, have mercy on us. And when he saw them, he said unto them, Go, show yourselves to the priests. That was how they had to get approval that they'd been cleansed. And we know that one of them turned back and worshipped. But he went one further than that in Mark chapter 1. It says, There came a leper unto him, beseeching him, kneeling down to him and saying, If you will, you can make me clean. And Jesus moved with compassion, stretched forth his hand, and touched him. And he said, I will be thou clean. And as soon as he had spoken, immediately the leprosy departed from him, and he was cleansed. See, in the Old Testament, if a priest touched a leper, the priest was unclean. 
the priest had to go out of the camp and go through all these motions and rigmaroles and ceremonies to get cleansed and clean and all the rest of it before he could come back to church. But when Jesus touched a leper, contamination didn't flow from the leper to him, but virtue flowed from him to the leper, and the leprosy was cleaned. You see, this temple that was God manifest in the flesh is very, very different. Amen. And I love these stories of the compassion of Jesus, of the mercy of Jesus, and of the power of Jesus. But what I want us to get this morning is that it's you and I. It's you and I. We've been filled with His Spirit, and we are His temples. But there are some times I still can't see where I'm going. There's sometimes I'm blind. I can't find my way in or out. Not naturally but spiritually. There are some times, there are seasons where I can't walk without help. And there are times when I'm bent over so bad I can't seem to lift my head. Like that lady in the Gospels that we read about. And if we're honest this morning, there are also times when I've corrupted myself with a leprous spirit or attitude. And I'm contagious. And I don't have it in me to get to Him but he comes to me. I don't have what it takes to drag my carcass to him, but his temple, not made with stones, not cold and lacking in personality, but God manifest in the flesh, comes to me, lays his hand on me again and says, be cleansed, be healed, be loosed, be made whole. Hallelujah. The prophet Isaiah said it like this in the Old Testament. He said, Then shall the eyes of the blind be open, the ears of the deaf shall be unstopped. Then shall the lame man leap as in heart. A heart is not a word we use every day, but it speaks of a deer or a gazelle. I've been to Africa, and if you've ever seen those impala, those things move like you would not believe. And when they run and they leap, they're just, they're amazing to watch. And he said that the lame man, would leap like a heart. That man in Acts chapter 3 fulfilled that in his natural body, but you and I again and again have fulfilled it spiritually, where for one reason or another we become lame and he touches us and we leap again. It says, The tongue of the dumb shall sing, for in the wilderness shall waters break out and streams in the desert. Hallelujah. This is just a simple message this morning, but I want to encourage somebody. If you feel like you cannot see and you cannot walk, or if you feel corrupted or you've taken something on that doesn't belong, the temple of God is here. His presence is here. You are His temple. And He wants to touch you. He wants to make you whole. Even if you feel like your spirit is leprous, you cannot corrupt Him. But He can heal you. Cripples are welcome in the king's house. Hallelujah. If you would stand with me, Cass, if you would come to the piano. There is a story in the Old Testament that many of you know well. It tells us about a young boy. He was born into a prominent family. Didn't lack for this earth's needs. His dad was a great man. His dad was a wonderful man, in my opinion a man of some of the greatest character that we read about in the Word of the Lord. But there was problems in the family. 
things were going bad. It wasn't his father's fault. It was beyond his father. But for one way or another, his father was killed. And this little boy at five years of age in the chaos that ensued and followed that battle was injured and became lame in his feet. Suddenly, couldn't walk properly. Been a healthy little five-year-old, but then the accident took place and couldn't walk properly anymore. And time goes by and his whole family situation is turned upside down and it seems as best I can work out that they relocated somewhere that wasn't as nice a part of town as where he was growing up when he was little. And years go by. Again, as best I can work out, I think I'd guess that about 15 years went by of this little boy. Dad's been dead for 15 years. He's lame. His family name, their reputation is dirt. And he's just living in nowhere. In fact, the name of the place where he's living means without pasture. There's no sustenance there. There's no food. You don't bring sheep there, you take them out because there's nothing there to keep them alive. But happening in a parallel lane, if you like, there's another man whose name is David who, through a long process, has finally become the king of Israel. He's been anointed, he's united the nation, defeated their enemies, brought the Ark of the Covenant back to Jerusalem to worship the Lord properly again. Got that wrong the first time, got it right the second time. And everything seems to be going well. And then David says to his servants, Is there anybody left of the household of Saul that I might show them kindness for Jonathan's sake? And they find out that there's one son that Jonathan had that David didn't know about whose name was Mephibosheth. And he's living in this place where there's no sustenance, nothing grows, and he's crippled. And David sends for him and he comes in And he presents himself to the king and it almost appears that he falls on his face and he says, why are you interested in me? I'm a dead dog. I'm crippled. My my family's name is Mud. I'm of no value whatsoever. But the value of this young man was not found in his ability to contribute to David or to add to the kingdom or to give wisdom and understanding. He wasn't brilliant. He wasn't talented. He had nothing really to offer. But his value was in whose son he was. And because of Jonathan, David said, you will sit at my table for the rest of your life. He said to his servant, you go out, look after his property, look after all his stuff, take care of it, bring him the profit. That's basically what he told me. He said, but Mephibosheth, crippled or otherwise, sits at my table as a son of the king. And your value this morning is not what you bring, but because you're His. And if you feel today that you're lame, you feel like whatever's gone on in your life, you're crippled, you're blind, you might even be leprous. There's a seat at the king's table this morning. Cripples are still welcome in the king's house. And if you want to come to Him and say, Lord, you know my brokenness, My Bible says, the lame shall leap like a gazelle, like a deer. The dumb that can't even speak will sing, and the desert will bring forth strings. These altars are open this morning if you want to come. Find your place at the king's table today.